And the high road is not choosing between the good and the bad. Anybody can do that. You can do that without God. But the high road is choosing between the good and the best, and always choosing the best. Welcome back to the Baptist Friends Podcast with Dr. Clarence Sexton, where we gather around truth, friendship, and world evangelism. Good morning. Thank you for joining us today. I'm delighted to be able to talk to you. I'm praying God will use what we're dealing with to be a great help and encouragement to you. I want you to have your pen in hand, ready to write some things down. And then we're going to move right along and ask God to guide us and help us. I'm sure thankful that you're a part of this. Let's pray together, may we? Father, we commit all this to Thee. We pray for Thy blessing to be upon it. Guide us by Thy Spirit. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me say just a word about our Baptist Friends Network. And um, I want to read something to you a little bit that we have about it. So... But we're meeting from Sunday through Wednesday. The meeting is Sunday through Wednesday. And October 17th through the 20th. Make sure you have that date. October 17th through the 20th. Now, each time we meet, I try to assign a subject. So we're dealing with critical thinking. Not being critical, but coming to conclusions. And this is a vital thing because you need to know and I need to know what we're saying is true. That it's what God says and we're giving people the Word of God. I want to refer you to some things in the the Scriptures in just a moment. So go ahead and open your Bible to Luke chapter 1. So we'll have that with us, Luke chapter 1. Now, when you design the work of the Lord in your church, you're designing it to function, to function. Uh, For example, we meet Sunday morning. We have a Bible teaching Sunday school, and through our Sunday school, we've organized the entire church. Our church is designed to function through the Sunday school, meaning that we've got every person who's a member and many people who are not members enrolled in our Sunday school. So we have some way to touch every life. There's no one that we'll be dealing with that isn't isn't touched there. So we have Sunday morning, Sunday morning services, and Sunday evening and Wednesday evening. And there are other meetings also that we have in soul and visitation and, and visitation and prayer meetings and this type of thing. But I want you to Put that word in somewhere in your mind. That the church should be designed to function. To function. Now, 
I'm going to give you some information that is available, will be available on the li online for you. And also um, that you can recommend to other people. I hope you'll do that. Plus, you know, we have internet radio and we are live streaming this on our internet radio station on Crown Radio today. So if you don't have the app, you can download it on your phone to have Crown Radio. And it's 24 hours a day, internet radio, wonderful programming. But this program is also on that. So I'm going to try to do more than just read something to you. But I want to give an illustration before we go. If you were having a conversation with the Lord Jesus Christ and talking to him about what the real issues are, what the real problems are. What are the real problems? Who are the real villains? And if you examine the Lord Jesus and his stories, you got everything okay, guys? Good. And uh, we're examining the Lord Jesus and his stories and what he taught. You're going to find that the real villains, the real villains are not the people you might imagine who go out and do terrible things wrong. The real villains in the Lord's stories are the people who had opportunity to do right, but did not do it. So take the parable of the Good Samaritan as people passing by and, and had opportunity to help the man, but they didn't do it. These were the real villains. No wonder the Lord says in James chapter 4 and verse 17, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it's sin. Sin. It's the sin of omitting or the sin of not doing. We know what we ought to do, but we don't do it. And so those are the real villains. You're going to have to figure this out for yourself. But uh, you're going to work with different people and you're trying to get them motivated to do something. What are you trying to get them motivated to do? You notice in your church, you have leaders, you have workers, you have followers, and uh, you have to know to whom you're talking and what you're trying to get them to do. Let me just read the passage just a moment, Luke chapter 1. The Bible says, For as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us, even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus, that thou mightest know the certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instructed. In other words, the human penman here God uses is the physician Luke. And he's telling us in the introduction as if this were a table of contents for what we're going to read in the gospel according to Luke. He's telling us what we're going to find and how, how we come to these conclusions. Today we talk about critical thinking, meaning taking lots of information and discerning what is vital 
and coming to accurate conclusions about a matter. How do you know what you're saying is true? Why do you believe it? And what process do you use in teaching and preaching to others to get them to believe the same thing that you, you say you believe? And so here in this passage of Scripture, he says we're, we're setting in order the things that are most certainly believed among us, those things which are most surely believed among us. So how did we come to this? How did we come to this? How did you come to be able to speak with an authority and a certainty about what you believe? How did that process take place in your life? How did you arrive there? Now think about that. Because you're talking to an audience of people and you're dealing with people, all kinds of people, and you're trying to bring them to biblical conclusions about things. So how do they arrive at those biblical conclusions and be able to live their lives with certainty and know I'm speaking the truth and speaking the truth in love? How, how do these people process things? Now, God made us a certain way. You can't just run roughshod over people because God made us in a certain way to be able to process uh, truth and to know this is truth. And so how do you do it? Do you just find yourself speaking on Sunday morning? Finding yourself speaking on Sunday evening? Find yourself speaking on Wednesday evening? What, what, is, what is it you're saying? What are you trying to convince people of? Are you trying to tell them what they ought to believe? Very important here. Or are you trying to get them to reach the conclusions that they can come to on their own from God's word? And so you're determining how you're going to lead these people, how your church is going to function, how you're going to lead these people. Now, many people have been taught to lead by demanding that people do certain things as though, as though I'm, I'm the boss and I'm in charge and uh, I've got all the answers. Now you just need to hear me, listen to me, and do what I say. That's a very poor way of leading, a very poor way. You know, we're living in unusual circumstances, but the truth of the matter is uh, things have always been different. In every generation, we experience all these things. And so I believe the Lord has designed our lives, He's designed our lives so that we can become productive and no less productive by coming to these conclusions ourselves. Uh, and at this stage in life, sometimes we find ourselves still learning. I hope we're still learning. And I'm trying to say something to you here about how people learn. To be the person who's speaking in the pulpit and just demanding that people just take action without engaging their own thinking processes uh, is not the best way for people to learn. It's not the way to do anything. It's not the way to raise children. It's not the way to do anything. And uh, so I, I, I remember Dr. Faulkner, who was a longtime associate of Dr. Lee Robertson, had a little formula. 
in working. He said, we organize, we deputize, we supervise. We organize, we deputize, we supervise. And so he was always organizing the work and then deputizing people to do the work and then supervising the work of those he deputized. Organize, supervise, deputize. Someone else has said, we plan our work and then work our plan. But in doing so, you're trying to get people to move from point A to point B. You're not just giving information. If you think preaching is just giving information, you've missed it. There has to be a verdict. And the verdict that people are coming to is the verdict God wants them to come to. So you've said all of this. You've taken their time. You've been engaged in speaking. So what do you want to do? What do you want people to do? And how do they know this is the truth? How do they know they're doing what they ought to be doing? Because in, in reality, we're enlisting people to do God's work, not our work. It's not what we want them to do. It's what we believe God says in his word he wants them to do. Now, how do you maneuver, as I might say, how, how do you accomplish this? How do you engage people so that they've commit their will to, to do it? And may the Lord help me as I'm trying to help you in this matter. We're training people not to serve us, but to serve the Lord. We're training people in God's work. I often think the most underestimated thing in the world is the local church. That's why we're taking this theme for our Baptist Friends meeting on the miracle of the local church. And uh, may God help me to explain this. There are many things that are miraculous about a local church. It's miraculous in its founding. The Lord Jesus Christ founded the church. Upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But it's miraculous in, in the function of the church. We're doing a work that no one else on earth has been commissioned to do. Making the gospel known. Uh, it's miraculous in the product that we see, if I may say that, lives are changed. I've seen people who foolishly gave them themselves lives to themselves and to their desires, but God changed them. And it's not that now they're transformed into doing what we want them to do. They're not even thinking about that first and primary. They're thinking about what God wants of their life. There's a real God who has a real agenda. He's on a mission. And we now are on our mission with him. He's leading us. How does this happen? How's this transformation happen? Because most pastors, I'm sorry, I've been one for over half a century. Most pastors get the idea that we, we know the agenda. We know from point A to point B what we want to try to do. But what is it God is enlisting people to do? What is it he wants for them to do? And miraculously, he's designed people so that they're capable of coming to conclusions. And when he's designed them so they can come to conclusions, they can put their whole heart in it. You can lead your church by just ordering around. And some people are perfectly fine with that, but they're not strong people. They're not as strong as they could be. But when they've gone through this process, this learning process, and they've come out that these are the things that we most surely believe. 
It's our conviction now. I've committed my will to it. I believe this is what God wants us to do. This is God's work in the world. This is what the Lord is up to. When, when that's happening, um, it's an amazing thing. One of the things I love to hear people say, and some people don't agree with this, but one of the things I love people to say is when they make a mistake, they say, it's my fault. Now, listen carefully. They're not saying it's your fault. It's my fault because we're not leading robots. We're leading people who have a will. We're leading people who have a conscience. We're leading people that God has designed who can process things and make decisions for themselves and come to conclusions. And, and this ought to be in our thinking when we have our church services. We're not just up there to be heard. We're up there to say something. And people are processing this for themselves and they're deciding whether they believe it or not, and they're going to do it or not, they're going to adhere to these things or not. And, and the stronger church is the church, not where the pastor is just leading everybody around by the nose, but the stronger church is where people have made a decision for themselves. And they, they understand, I, I believe this is what God wants, and I've come to this conclusion myself. And so may God help us in this matter. I'm praying as I'm speaking that the Lord will help me get this across. This brings the pioneering spirit. This brings the personal commitment that people must have in the work of God. You see, there is an ought in us. O-U-G-H-T. There's an ought in us. Knowing what we ought to do. How does this come about in our being when we come to know the Lord and we know this is what we ought to do before God. And I'm answering to God. I'm going to give an account to God. And the critical thinking process has to be engaged in all of this so that we can do it. I want you to write these words down if you would. We enlist people for God's work. We train people for God's work. We equip people for God's work, and we continue in God's work. One, two, three, four. We enlist people for God's work. In other words, uh, be very careful, but be, be truthful about this. This is what the Lord wants us to do. You, you can't motivate people like you think you can. But people can be motivated by finding this is God's way. This is the Lord's will. This is what God has designed. Uh, churches today, most churches today, operate like somebody's operating some sort of a club. And it, it's all subjective and it's given to the preacher's mind. And he thinks, well, this is what, this is what the pastors determine we ought to do. But the pastor ought to be fully engaged with God and what God wants done. And what God wants done is what we're trying to get people to do. It's really simple, and we make it very complicated, but it's very simple. And so when, you have, when you're speaking to people about moving from whatever you want them to do, from what they're doing now to what you want them to do, is it something God has for them? Is it something that moves God's work further? 
Again, Luke chapter one, verse one, the Bible says, for as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us. What, what is most surely believed among you? And how did you come to these conclusions? And then Luke goes on to say, to set forth in order their prerequisites, their things that come before other things, like salvation before baptism. And uh, you find the reason for church membership. And what is it? You're adhering in things. You're adhering in your heart to certain things in a body of truth that is most surely believed among you. I see, um, it doesn't operate like everything else operates. This is God's work. You're engaged in God's work and you're doing God's work. When Luke wrote the book of Acts as the human penman, he talked about many infallible proofs. He was really saying the same thing. To set forth a declaration or the things most surely believed among us. He says, now, I'm writing about this, but there are many infallible proofs. This is not a guess. We don't, we don't, we don't get involved in this for three or four years and then find out, well, this is not really what's true. No, no. We, we engage in the truth and we're fellow helpers to other people leading them the truth. Uh, the Lord does not give some extensive argument to prove himself and say, this is why you ought to believe in me. He begins the word of God with a declaration. In the beginning, God created a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us. And you can come by faith to believe it or not to believe it. Now, I want to take you to the process in just a moment, uh, but I'm, I, want to, I want to push on this more and more until you understand what I'm trying to say because that's the position you're in. Um, sometimes people want to be graceful without being truthful. It's almost like a uh, winsome. But the most important thing you're giving people is the truth. Just keep giving the truth. And uh, this is where we come to critical thinking conclusions. If someone said to you, explain to me your biblical faith. Right now, where you're sitting, explain to me your biblical faith. And you say, I believe this, I believe this, I believe this. Then I want to say to you, why do you believe it? Are you listening? What process did you go through? Why expect that the people are not going to go through that same process? You came to conclusions about God and his word in a certain way, the way God made you. Now, why not understand that the people to whom you're leading and preaching and pastoring and shepherding, they have to go through the same process. And so may God help us. Uh, we ought to have strong rock-ribbed convictions, uh, things that we are certain of. And remember, we're always getting... We're always getting bombarded by the world, the flesh, and the devil. I think it's almost impossible to imagine, but it's true that the first thing that happens to a kindergartner when he goes to school or she goes to school, they're four years old, for goodness sake. They're four years old. And the first thing the kindergarten teacher wants to tell them is there's no God, no creator. They want to attack creation. 
They want to replace it with evolution. So who are they going to believe? There is a process that brings us to strong convictions. When Paul wrote Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 10, he said, Thou hast fully known, thou hast fully known. And then he gave the list. I want you to write that list down. If you'll open your Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10, write that list down. There's a reason for that list. We're talking about building strong churches, and God knows we need strong churches. Strong churches are made up of strong people who are not led about like, like dummies. They've come to some conclusions, biblical conclusions, by the work of the Word of God and the work of the Spirit of God to bring them to strong convictions about certain things that we most surely believe and are most surely believed among us. So you've got to have truth and a basis of truth to have the discernment that's necessary. Well, look what he said. He said, but thou hast fully known, and he gives this list, one thing after another, my doctrine, second thing, my manner of life, now, most of us want to put manner of life before doctrine. Well, you know how we live. You know we're serious people. Wait a minute. What's your doctrine? Does it line up with God and God's word? The third thing is purpose. What is your purpose? Why are you justifying taking offerings, building buildings, enlisting people? What is your purpose? Our purpose must be his purpose. Faith. This is the next thing Paul is. Faith. Faith. If it's not a faith, God says it doesn't please him. It has to be a faith to please him. And then long-suffering. The word long-suffering is a wonderful word. And we're engaged in a long-suffering ministry in charity. Charity is an amazing word. I wrote a book on the word charity uh, from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I wish you'd get it on expressions of love, how we express the love of Christ. Charity is Christ's love shed abroad in our hearts. And then there's patience. We need patience. Uh, we're all impatient. We're bored with people. Let's admit it. We're sick of people sometimes. You know it. And God has to give us that patience. Then persecutions. Paul went through persecutions. He talked about his persecutions. As a matter of fact, this is the last thing Paul wrote. And the three places he talked about were his persecutions that happened early on at Antioch, at Lystra, at Iconium. What he suffered there, his afflictions. So that's the list Paul gave to, to Timothy and how Timothy was to process that. And when he says these afflictions which came to me at Antioch, there's two Antiochs. Now, this is an amazing statement he makes. Paul wrote to those things that happened in the first part of his ministry. And they shaped who he was and what he believed. And it proved to him that God would take care of him. He's talking about what he suffered, not from the Gentile church in Antioch where he was sent out, but from Antioch and Poseidon where he suffered so much. 
then on to Iconium and Lystra, where we were stoned and left for dead. Um, I think we'd be, it'd be good for us to go back and take our people to this pastoral epistle in 2 Timothy chapter 3, honestly, and talk about Paul's experience with God. And then as he re refers to this in, in Timothy, he knows Timothy's going to suffer because, listen, let's just stop the train for a moment. Bring everything to a screeching halt. We're going to have a lot of people who are quitting. We're not only going to have members and church members who quit and drop out. We're going to have a lot of preachers who quit. And uh, Paul is talking about why he stayed in it here. And he's telling Timothy about Antioch and Iconium and Lystra. And then he goes on, what persecutions I endured, he says. How do you endure these things? Because the convictions you've got. Because what you've learned about God, how you've processed these things. Now, I'm spending too much time on this, I'm sure, but he says, what persecutions I endure, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Think of that. I got word yesterday that my dear precious friend uh, is gone to be with the Lord. He suffered greatly. And uh, Dave McCoy. Well, there's another thing going on in Dave's life. Dave had a broken heart. He has a faithful wife, Trish's a most godly woman. And his daughters or daddy's girls, they love him. They love him. He's with Jesus now. But he died with a broken heart in some ways. I'm sorry I'm saying this because people may be going to get aggravated about it, but uh, he was disappointed in some people, some people who should have stayed with him but didn't stay with him. And uh, these are perilous times when people are dropping out. There's a lot of this going on, and we need to stop and say we're going to help to build a stronger church. Yes, I hope it's a larger church. Yes, I hope it's a more far-reaching church. Yes, I hope it's a greater soul-winning church. But it needs to be a stronger church where people have processed these truths. They've gone through it themselves, and they know now, I believe this, and I'm staying with it. There's no other way for me but God's way. And like Paul, what persecutions I endured, without them all, the Lord delivered me, and he will deliver you. And may God help us in all of this. And uh, read, keep going back to Luke 1.1. 1, 1. Keep going back to Luke 1.1. 1, 1. These things are the most surely believed among us. Keep going back to Luke 1.1. 1, 1. And back again to Luke 1.1. 1, 1. And back again to Luke 1.1. 1, 1. I want to read something to you. Uh Here's a, here's a proof text for the way God made us. Uh, it's found in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 14. I want you to listen to it, please. He says, Continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of. I think perhaps the most powerful process in all the Bible is in this little phrase, and has been assured of. 
and has been assured of. And so, if you could not think critically and come to conclusions, if you couldn't come to conclusions, if you could not discern, if you could not understand these things to be true, Paul says to Timothy, continue thou in the things which thou hast learned. And then he's, he's talking about Timothy's life, Timothy's heart, Timothy's mind, Timothy's process. And he says, and has been assured of. Would you mark that? And has been assured of. That's powerful. You see, we pastor sometimes like this. Continue thou in the things which thou hast learned, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. We leave that entirely out. I said it, you believe it, get to it. No, wait a minute. You're not talking to, you're not talking to machines. And God made those people where they could process things. And you can guide them to God and guide them to understanding that they can come to real convictions. This is what I'm trying to talk about, real convictions. At my age and stage, I, I don't like to talk about certain things because I don't want to feel old, but we're all still going through this process, all of us. Now, I've, I've reached some real convictions about things from time to time. I'm challenged on a matter, but um, I know that the Lord made us this way. I'm talking about being able to reach conclusions, to be able to speak with confidence, to know what you believe, to say, I'm going to continue things because I've been assured that these are true things. I'll believe this all of my life. God has proved himself to me. So now here's some things I want you to write down. I've got just a little time to give you to write these things down. I want you to write down these things these things. Would you please write these things down? Number one, God created man to be instructed and to communicate with him. He made us to be instructed. So he created us that way. He actually says in Isaiah chapter one, verse 18, come, come now. Hey, 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 come now. And let us reason together. Imagine the God of heaven and earth who spoke the world into existence says, he wants us to reason together. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. In other words, God is inviting me to communicate with him. And he's letting me that he know that he wants to communicate with me. You remember the story of David and Goliath? Sure you do. You remember how he finally David finally got to Saul and Saul saw him and Saul was in a state of shock. And he said to David, hey, you're just a kid. You're just a kid. And this man's been a, a, a person, a warrior of war since his youth. How are you going to fight him? Oh, my. And David began to testify about what he knew about how God delivered the bear and God delivered the lion. So then they tempt David. They dress him up in the, in the armor of, of Israel, 
I don't think it was Saul's armor. He'd rattled around in it everywhere because Saul was head and shoulders above everybody else in size, but it was military wear like everybody else had on. And you know what David said when he had saved to go, he got ready to go. He said, I, I haven't proved this. I haven't proved this, but I have proved something. I have proved that God is real. And I proved that every time I face something, God has seen me through. He reached a conclusion about God. That's what you want from your people. You want your people to reach a conclusion about God, that God is enough. How did they do that? You led them in what the world calls critical thinking. You led them to see and believe, but they had to go through this process themselves. Yes, they had to go to the hospital. Yes, they had to go through sickness. Yes, God help them. Some of them had to go through the death of a loved one, but they, they found out in all of that that God is everything and more that he says he is. You know, I, I think if we don't find out anything else right now with all we're going through and all the, all the peril we're facing, we're finding out that our churches are not the strong churches they ought to be. And I'm afraid we're going to find out pastors are not what they ought to be. And so uh, reach these great conclusions about God because God is doing everything to communicate with you. He's designed you so that you can listen to him. He's designed you so he can communicate to you and you can communicate with him. This is the way it works. And he created men to be instructed and to communicate with him. So what you're doing, you're speaking for God in God's presence about God to the people who are listening and you're understanding while you're speaking you're telling them things that are certain and are believed among us, and you're going to help them to come to a place where it's not just what you say. Now, it's important what you say, but it's not just what you say. It's what they've been assured of themselves. Continue down the things which I've learned, and it's been assured of. I wish I could get some sort of response from you so, so that we're communicating, we're understanding. Can you just smile, raise your hand, jump? Uh, jump, stand on your stand on your head, or do something. You know, I mean, nod your head. Maybe I'll hear it rattle through this media. But understand, this is not just a club meeting. This is a Holy Spirit of God meeting. This is God's word you're giving to people. The communication is from through you from God to them, and them God is working in them just like God has worked in you because God has designed them to be instructed and to hear from him and to reach critical conclusions about truthful things. Number two, Christian educators are laboring together with God. The preacher, the teacher, if you're dealing with Christian things, you're laboring with God. It's not on your own. I mean, this has been a great relief for me. When I, when I, when I forget this, and I start thinking, it's all on me. It's all on me. Oh, boy, it's all on me. Then I'm fouled up. I'm fouled up. Because I'm laboring with God. God is speaking. And he's affirming things. And he uses his word and his spirit to do that. So I'm trying. I'm doing the best I can do. 
But remember 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9. For we are laborers together with God. Think of this. We are laborers together with God. I don't have to leave that chair on that pulpit and step up to that pulpit. I don't have to stand up to preach and think it all depends on me. If I think it all depends on me, or when I'm engaged in conversation, just counseling somebody, I don't have to believe that it all depends on me because I'm working with God and God is working with me. And he's in the world. Isn't he in the world? Reproving, correcting, instructing in righteousness. So number three, God is before all things. Therefore, the nature of truth cannot be separated from God. I want you to understand that the nature of truth. And by the way, it's not, it's not knowledge that the world is needing. It's truth they're needing. And the Bible says in Colossians 1.17, write that verse down. He is before all things, and by him all things consist. He is before all things, and by him all things consist. So the very nature of truth, the nature of truth, cannot be separated from God. And then I want you to get this. Next big point here. It is God's desire for us to know him. Think of that. There are people that I want you to know. There are people I'd love for you to know that have been great influences in my life. I wish you could have known Dr. Lee Robertson. I wish you could have listened to Frank Sells teach the Bible. I wish you could have listened to Bob Norman and his passion to serve the Lord and let God use him in, in building a church. I wish you'd have known the tenderness and kindness of Dillard Hagen, my first pastor. I, I really do. I wish you could have known Robert Davis, who made it his personal mission to see that I would at least give full consideration to God in my life. Oh, there's people I want you to know. There's people I'd love for you to know. I wish you could have known Hetty Wilson, I couldn't have made it in the first church I pastored. My wife and I couldn't have made it if not for Everett and Hetty Wilson. And she made the best fried chicken and, and gravy and mashed potatoes and biscuits you ever ate in your life. And she always had iced tea with it. I'm hungry right now. I'm about to leave. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk out here and go get me some fried chicken, chicken on the bone, and some chicken gravy and mashed potatoes. But you know what she did? She sat down at the table with us, and she talked to us. I wish you could have known her. I'll see her again in heaven, how precious she is. But God has the desire beyond anything we could ever imagine for us to know him. It's God's desire for us to know him, not just know about him. It's God's desire to know for the people you're preaching to and teaching to know him. It's not just you that need to get acquainted with. God has this indescribable desire for people to know him. And we're talking to them this way because we want them to know him. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come repentance in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. But beyond not perishing, he wants people to know him, to know his love. He even said to us, come, come all you that labor and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. So when you're teaching and preaching the word of God as a pastor, we're talking about shepherds and shepherd summit here. Let's come to the summit and say, what is, what's the intent of all of this? 
God wants you to know him and he wants your people to know him. And then I must say to you, and this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent, John 17, 3. Sometimes, I know we're all this way, but sometimes we get the idea we're just up there saying some stuff and we hope they get it and then we give them the invitation and hope they respond. But there's more to it than that. We're, we're God's men, God's representatives, speaking for the Lord in the presence of God to the people of God. Then there's another point I want you to write down. Life is worth living because it represents more than mortality. Life is worth living. This world is not all there is. For what should a profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Mark 8, 36 and 37. So life is worth living because it represents more than mortality. We're going to live forever. Think of this. When I die, I'm going to see the Lord. I'm going to be with the Lord. Then I'm going to, I'm going to reign with him in the thousand-year reign as he reigns. I'm going to be with him in eternity beyond that. So life is more than just living here and dying. And God wants us to know him for that reason. The indwelling Holy Spirit and the eternal word of God enable us to develop the mind of Christ in our thinking. That's ultimately the goal. How can you get the mind of Christ? How can Clarence Sexton speak and think like Jesus wants him to think and speak? How can I speak to people the way the Lord would want me to speak to them and he'd be pleased with me speaking? Well, write this down. The indwelling Holy Spirit. And the eternal word of God enable us to develop the mind of Christ in our thinking. Can you imagine that I can live in this cruel world and yet at the same time think as Jesus wants me to think? And I can teach other people and they can begin to think as Jesus wants them to think and make decisions like the Lord wants them to make. And so this is so important. So very important. And I, I, want, I want to help you with this. And in all of our teaching and preaching, write this down, please. It, it, it is essential that we do not separate teaching from learning. Now, I want you to think, I've finished talking and preaching. I've finished teaching and preaching. I've given the message. and uh, But don't separate the teaching and the preaching from their learning. Joshua 1.8 says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt make, have good success. In other words, not just hearing it, but obeying it, doing it, applying it. And back when Paul wrote to Timothy, I'm telling you again, continue thou, he says, but, but, that's a wonderful little word, that but, in verse, verse 14, it's a disjunctive conjunction. Right before that, he said, but evil men and seducers will wax worse and worse. He said, oh, it's getting bad, getting bad, getting bad, getting bad. Oh, yes, it's going to get worse. 
that doesn't stop you. But in light of all that, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and has been assured of. Oh, that's the precious part. My heart hurts. That's why I'm trying to get all of you here to this Baptist Friends meeting. We'll get you a place to stay. We've, we've cleaned out places, remodeled dormitories. We've got a room for you. You can come and sleep. Won't cost you anything. You can eat meals with us. You won't have to buy any food. Just get here. <coughs> Just get here. We are about to enter the greatest peril the world has ever known. All of you know it's headed there. Collapses are taking place everywhere. Structural things that have been long-lasting are collapsing. And freedom is being taken away from people. Our people, our churches, our beloved people that we love and work with are going to have to stand tall, stand strong, and know what they believe. So we have to teach them how to come to godly conclusions and to know this is truly what I believe. Now don't separate your teaching from their learning. I hear some of these smart teachers sometimes say, well, I told them about this, but they didn't seem to get it. Stop talking that way in front of me. Make it the burden of your heart to work it and work at it and set, come at it from the east and the, and the west and the north and the south, um, from underneath and above and from the sides. Just get it to them because people have got to begin to think right and know what God wants them to know so they've got some conviction, so they can face their giants, so they can stand the test, so they'll do the right thing when the enemy's at the door. This journey to right conclusions is everybody's business, but especially to you as a man of God. Then I want you to write this down. Christian education, talking about God, is not slightly better. Well, it's a better. No, no, it's totally different from what the world is doing. It's totally different, totally different. Secular universities and colleges are not preparing people to stand the test. They're not doing it. The test is going to come and they're going to fail. They're already failing. And there's, there's no doubt about it. And by the way, what we're teaching people from God's word will work anywhere, anytime, any place with anybody. I want you to stop just for a moment and think of the of the, the miraculous work God's given us to do in our local churches. It's a miraculous work. It's a work like no other place. It's helping people to know what no one else is helping them to know about God, how to know him and how to live for him. And uh, feel great about what God has given you to do. Be strong about what God has given you to do. And this type of teaching and preaching is the only sure foundation for life because it brings people to the Lord Jesus. And so that's what really matters. You know, I'm going to live and die. If the Lord didn't come soon, I'm going to die. And you are too. 
our work will be over. But what we've taught people that's truthful will never be over. It'll stay with them forever. Let me say it again. Continue thou, but continue thou, and the things which thou hast learned, and has been assured of, and hold on to that right there, has been assured of. And your people could say, oh, I'm, I'm sure of this. Well, why are you sure of this? This is the thing that is most certainly believed among us, Luke chapter 1, verse 1. Why, why do you know that? How have you come to such certainty, Luke chapter 1? How, how have you come to such certainty? That's what you want for a church. I wish we had a way of thinking so that we think this is the flock that I, I've got. You see, the Bible says that we're going to present them all to Jesus someday. Think of that. When Paul wrote the Christians in Colossae, he said to them, uh, there are certain things that are in front of you. And you have to finish these things because you're going to answer to God. You have an inevitable meeting with God in these matters. And then he says in chapter 1 and verse 28, whom we preach, number one, warning all men, every man, then teaching every man and all wisdom, and then presenting every man. We have to present them all to the Lord and say, Lord, this is my flock. These are the sheep I shepherd. I want to present them to Christ. How, we, how will we present them? I want, to, I want to present them. And it takes work, but I want to present them as I've been used of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's been working their lives to bring them to the place where they can say with real convictions, rock rib convictions that run a mile deep in my soul, I know this is true. I believe this. And these are the things that I most surely believe those of us who are among us, those of us who are Christians. And all of this comes from this, from this journey to right conclusions and, and these elements that bring us there. Would you help me pray? Would you please help me pray for the Baptist Friends Meeting, October 17th to 21st, 20th, October 17th to 20th, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, concluding on Wednesday night. Will you help me pray? And uh, I have some questions here about the Shepherd Summit. We will have a Shepherd Summit during the Baptist Friends Meeting. Uh, how can we guide teenagers in our church to make right conclusions? I've just talked about that, that today. It seems more difficult to guide teenagers than ever before. You're right. But they can come to these same rock rib convictions if they'll make this same journey to reach the conclusions that you and I are trying to help them. What sessions, speakers will be there, Baptist Friends Network, the most wonderful thing will help every pastor be a better pastor. We'll help every Bible preacher to be a Bible preacher. We'll help every youth worker to be a youth, better youth worker. We'll help everybody working with senior friends, senior citizens to be, uh, do a better job reaching senior friends. We'll help people with everything from nurseries to soul winning. Get here. I'm just trying to strengthen the things which remain and help you to realize the miracle 
the absolute miracle of the local church. The, the statement is, I deeply desire to be led of God in an upcoming decision, but do not want to lead, be led by my own desires. Do you have any advice? Yes, yes, wait on the Lord. Wait. Let none be ashamed that wait on the Lord. That's the word of God. Don't get in a hurry about it. When you can't make the decision, don't feel confident about it, wait, God will give it to you. Look, Jesus Christ wants you to do the right thing more than you've ever wanted to do the right thing. God wants you to know him more than you've ever wanted to know him. And the Lord wants you to be able to speak the truth so you can help people know him who gives us the truth. There is a journey to right conclusions. There's a journey in critical thinking. And God's men ought to be making that journey and helping other people to make that journey. Are you helping your people to make that journey, to reach right conclusions about the Lord? That's our responsibility. Not only are we dealing with it every day, we're going to give an account to the Lord Jesus for that. And uh, I appreciate you listening today. And I really, truly, honestly, earnestly need your prayers. I need your prayers. And uh, I want you to pray for the family of Brother David McCoy. And let's close this meeting with that. I don't know the funeral arrangements or I'd give them to you. God willing, I'm going to try to be there. And uh, David was a great man of God, 62 years old. He hadn't had really a well day for 20 years. He suffered from MS. He had cancer. And then he contracted this awful Chinese disease. And um, now he's with Jesus. Pray for his darling wife and his daughters. They're precious girls. They're both graduates of Crown College. And pray for Trish. She's a real woman of God. And pray for her family. Let's pray together. Would you pray with me? <laughs> and let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for this day. And one of our brothers is now with you. One of our friends <laughs> who served thee so faithfully for 40 years in one place. And now he's with thee, Lord. Help us to encourage his dear wife and children and help us to be encouraged by his faithful service. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I love you guys. Thank you for being with me today. <laughs> Time flies when you're having fun. I'm going to go get that chicken and gravy. Yeah. Chicken gravy, mashed potatoes, iced tea, hot biscuits, fowl. I've got to get some somewhere soon. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Baptist Friends Podcast. Never miss an episode by subscribing today. And join us next time as we continue to gather around truth, friendship, and world evangelism.